You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Moonlight and my interview with the composer of that film, Nicholas Bratel. <laughs> what's, you, what's you looking at me like that for? What, man? Come on, you just drove down here? Yeah. Where's you, Sharon? Come on, son, try not to remember. Try to forget all those times. At some point, you gotta decide for yourself who you're gonna be. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. You won't tell him why the other boys kick his ass all the time. What's wrong? I'm good. No. I ain't seen good. And you ain't it. Remember the last time I saw you? You're my only. I'm your only. No, 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 no. You gon' listen. To who, Ma? Huh? To you? Who is you, man? seen you in like a decade. It's not what I expected. What did you expect? All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Moonlight. And Moonlight is a story of a young man dealing with his dysfunctional home life. Uh, He comes of age in Miami during the war on drugs era. The story of his struggle to find himself is told across three defining chapters in his life as he experiences the ecstasy, pain, and beauty of falling in love while grappling with his own sexuality. The cast for this film includes Trevante Rhodes, Andre Holland, Janelle Monet, Ashton Sanders, Jarrell Jerome, Naomi Harris, and Mahershala Ali. Uh, Barry Jenkins is the writer and director of this film. I've got Michael and Will here with me to discuss this film. Michael, let's start off with you first. What did you think of Moonlight? As I sat watching Moonlight, there was one word that kept coming to my mind to define this whole film, and that's just absolutely beautiful. This film just enraptured me. I found it so moving, and it presented an experience that I'm so not used to seeing, a perspective that I really know almost nothing about, a world that felt so foreign from my own, yet it transcended any cultural boundaries. Just the way that I watched this boy develop into a teenager and then become a man, and in the atmosphere in which he did it in, was just so compelling, so interesting. I was so moved by this film. I, you know, I can't say it any better for myself. I, I, I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to put it into words. Um, so with that said, Will, what did you think of Moonlight? Yeah, I think this is going to be one of those where we all agree. This was a stunner without a doubt, you know, on, on so many levels too. If we're talking about contenders for the SAG Ensemble Award, there is not a weak link in the cast. I know that on the male end, Mahashala Ali is getting the majority of supporting actor traction, but I would honestly say uh, both gentlemen who played the main character 
uh, during the second and third acts deserve awards consideration. They were utterly devastating, particularly if you look at character transition in the third act where you can see him at someone at the start of the act as someone who does not at all resemble the man you knew during the first two acts yet as soon as he interacts with a figure from his past it's as if he's the same person again it's an astonishing on-screen transformation and of course Mahershala Ali is heartbreaking I de- he's got a great year, and I desperately hope he gets an Oscar nomination. His final scene at the dinner table is really emotionally gutting. And he, you know, he's a very complex character. I think the aesthetics in this are gorgeous. There's a lot of little things as far as the, how the image goes. There's, you know, I'm sure this was not a high-budgeted film, but the production design is astonishing for what it did in that there is so much blue incorporated into every image in the first two acts. And it's it must have taken a lot of either location scouting or on-set production design because in the schools, it is white and blue everywhere. The clothes people wear, the door frames, the lockers, it's just so much blue. And it ties into the line uh, I think Mahershala Ali said earlier in the film about like black boys look blue in the darkness or something, in the moonlight, that's what it is. And so, and then, yet somehow the blue almost entirely disappears for the third act until briefly in the kitchen. So it is that character's color. And it, it is very much a color movie, you know. The mom is the color of magenta, that's her color. And it's not exactly subtle with showing her magenta. But I thought that was a wonderful touch. And then towards the end, you know, there's obviously a lot of little things where even as far as what kinds of lines you have in the image. You have in the final kitchen scene, the main character framed between squares and rectangles on one end, which are kind of a safe shape, you know, a stable shape. And then on the other side, you have a mesh door frame on the side of his head. Uh, These are diagonal lines, more dangerous lines. So you have very much an angel and the devil type situation. Barry Jenkins clearly put so much effort into planning the images here. It's astonishing. It's mesmerizing. It makes the film hypnotic. This will be one of the few films where I will personally uh, consider myself to be unable to uh, you know just put into words how much i love this film uh sometimes i'm able to give a lot of really good reasoning and sometimes the film just leaves me utterly speechless when i watch it and that's what moonlight did for me i remember um back when i saw it at the new york film festival i trying so hard after the movie was over to write my review and it was one of the most difficult reviews i ever had to write because there was so much so much good stuff about the film and very little wrong with it. I mean, like very, very little to the point where, you know, it it just came off as me just gushing about it. And then how do you put into words? I mean, the best way to describe it essentially is to just look at it piece by piece by piece. So not just because I have an interview with him later, but Nicholas Patel's music in this is one of my favorites of the year, hands down. I mean, have you guys listened to the whole soundtrack in its entirety? I have. It's it's truly haunting. Yeah. 
I only heard it within the context of the film, not on its own. Yeah, you got you got to listen to it. It's pretty it's pretty incredible. It's very moody. Check out the end credits suite. It's particularly haunting. Yeah. Now there was one bit of music that did stick out to me, but I'm not sure if it was his. There's a sequence, and this is the one sequence in the film that really stuck out as uh, the most impactful. And it's in the beginning when we have a uh, little, and he's running through a field with these kids. Uh, they're like playing some sort of game. And then the camera just cuts to him, like, standing on the side. And it looks like he's, like, running for his life almost. Yeah. And the camera tracks him. And there's a music that plays there. Was that Nicholas Bertel or was that something else used? Anything orchestral is his. Yeah. Okay. Well, that really did pop for me. And just, let's just talk about the emotion of that sequence for a second. Talk about the emotion of the film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, th- this one in particular. You have all these kids and the camera's moving so quickly you can't really tell who's who. And then you just see the back of uh, the back of Chiron, and uh, just the way that the camera films him, you see the back of his body. He's wearing like a red shirt, I believe it is. And I just felt that it was extraordinary that you're not even saying anything about the character, yet you're showing me so much by just pointing the camera at him in this manner and watching him run. I mean, I could just imagine for this kid who's already feeling. Uh, different in a way from everyone around him he doesn't feel as if he fits in with all these kids who are like wrestling or doing some sort of game that involves a ball i think and he's just like trying to fit in but not be in a point where he's feeling uncomfortable that just really hit me hard what about you James Laxton's cinematography in this movie is something that I will be championing all throughout the Oscar season i really 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 feel that it's that visual poetry and that that those 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 moments where the colors just absolutely pop off the screen that help to give the film its transfixing beauty and really does pull the viewer in if if there is any justice in this world his name will pop up a lot in the precursor season and hopefully lead to an oscar nomination i think it's really, really wholly deserved. Um, It's some really strikingly beautiful moments in this movie, for sure. Without saying what the final shot is, I'm not even going to go into talking about it, really. But I'll just say the color used in it and the way that it's composed were enough to just stop your heart. Yeah. Yeah. It's my favorite shot of the year, by far. Easily. I mean, there's a couple shots in that which are easy contenders for best of the year stuff. Um, the shot that that ending shot mirrors on the beach is also a real stunner. Um, and then of course you have actually anything on the beach is probably just mind blowingly good. And then a couple of Sharon in his house with his mother early on, you know, some of those just transfixed on this young boy's wounded face. Oh my God. Oh, and the ice, the ice bath shot where he, uh, you know, they've messed the frame rate. So the fluorescent r- lights are jittery and he submerges his face in the water and then just stares. That was one of those that really sticks with me. Uh, speaking of, uh, you were saying before about um, the mother in this film and obviously she's played by Naomi Harris. I want to talk about some of the performances here. Um, let's start off with her first. Um did it live up to the hype for you guys? I know that there's been a lot of comparisons to Monique in Precious. Um, do you feel that she's, you know, everything that everybody's cracking her up to be, essentially? 
I thought she was very good. I did not think she was MVP of the cast. She didn't feel quite as natural as some of the other performers did. Um, and she didn't feel like Monique and Precious. Uh, she was good, though, and worthy of a nomination, without a doubt. She only had three days to film, which is very impressive for the type of performance she gives. I think I went in expecting something along the lines of Monique and Precious, where it's just this big performance that eats up the whole film. And that's not what I got. So I may have just been thinking of something else. I'm definitely going to go back and see this film again. I actually, uh, on a side note, had uh, I was a little sick this week and had what I can only call a coughing attack during this movie, where I was just like constantly having to stand up and just go to the back just so it, I could stop. So maybe there was like one or two subtleties that I missed here or there. But in her performance, I'd just like to go back and see it knowing that it's not going to be this huge overbearing presence that dominates the film. It's a little smaller than that. But from the time that she's in it, I mean, she's great. What else is there to say about it, you know? You know, as far as a dominating presence, uh, Mahershala Ali, really, really, my God. You talk about a presence that dominates. Charisma. That guy. Oh, yeah. Damn. I mean, he just lays it in the uh, first act of this film. And he doesn't come back. He's just in one segment of the movie. Which I, I found to be such a frustrating yet brilliant choice on Barry Jenkins. I don't know if you guys heard uh, him explain at all what the reasoning is behind this, but yes. he wanted to show how these surrogate father figures for these uh, for these young kids are there, and then whether they're killed or sent to jail or whatever it is, they just get snatched away, essentially. And that's essentially what happens to uh, Little after the first act of this film he has this father figure there that's trying to set him on a good path and he cares about him and you know obviously is you know trying to i i don't want to say like you know steal him away from his mother but you know clearly he could see what you know type of person his mother is and he's no saint himself uh he's the local um I don't want to say kingpin but like you know local uh drug he's, a, dealer. he's a drug lord yeah yeah I mean. exactly uh, but yet there's a warmness to him, and there is uh, a good-hearted center to it. So, yeah, to lose him in the film, it's uh, it's disappointing, and it's never explained why, and it just sort of just happens. Uh, well, they do, they do mention in dialogue, I mean, what happened to him. Oh, yes, that's right. I forgot. You're right. Yeah, a couple times they say what happened, but it's for such a major character, it is interesting that it's just something that is referenced in a throwaway line or two. I, 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 but for the reasons you stated, I like that. I mean, it, it almost makes it all the more impactful. I, I agree. I think what Barry Jenkins, um, who's has said before, he's he's not gay. Um, he is openly straight, and I think that he has such a firm grasp of all the complex emotions um, of not just of. Um, you know, repressed uh, gay men that are that are wanting to uh, explore their sexuality in such a masculine world, but also of it capturing just the African American uh, experience as well um, for these young kids. I I I am amazed at how much he's able to convey in this film. How many different ideas? How many uh, different beautiful images? Um, 
Yeah, I'm like I said before, I'm just utterly speechless by this film. I think that it's um, one of the most just beautiful films I've ever ever seen. It 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 really really did a number on me. I I gotta say, but I mean, because when we get to that third act, there is so much subtext. Yeah, the the screen is ready to explode with subtext at, at a certain point. Um, it's unreal. Well, let's talk about the scene that ends the second act. I don't want to give spoilers, but one of the most mesmerizing and surprising moments of the year for me, I would say. Um, the sound design going into that with the echoes, the almost hallucinatory state, and then the the event that happened. But I'm sorry, is this on the beach? No, no. No, it, you're talking about in the in school, In a classroom. Right? The, the thing that changes the course of the boy's life. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, I thought that came earlier for some reason. I mean, that was just... I, did, did, you, did that take you by surprise and just leave your jaw hanging open when it happened? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. The music, the soundscape, the um, emotion of what was happening on the, the actors' performances totally transfixed. I couldn't look away. And then, of course, when you uh, when you meet the character in the third act, all I could think is, well, that is not where I saw that going. No, not at all. And and then I liked going back to Mahershala Ali. You know, he leaves, but his presence is felt throughout the film. Um, it's it's one of those cases where it is a character, even though he's only in a small part, you don't forget about. You know, Micah had concerns about him making a nomination, but if, I mean. Sharon basically intentionally becomes Mahershala Ali in the third act, down to the car, the the massive amounts of muscle tone, and uh, the uh, the general way he carries himself. And I thought that was an interesting direction to take the character in. He's got swag, as they call it. I don't want to speak for all of us here, but at least for me, going into the film, I had my concerns that it would be something that resonated with me on an emotional level. Being a white guy from the suburbs, this is a world that is just so foreign from my own. But like I said in my initial thoughts, it just transcended any cultural boundaries that it would have. That I felt like I was put right into this atmosphere that I had never been in before. And it just felt real in a way that before I wouldn't really have a way of telling if it did or not. But just being in there, it felt as authentic as it could be. Did either of you feel that too? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Undeniably. So I don't think it matters what background you come from necessarily. You're able to be a part of the story and understand where everyone's coming from. Agreed. I think that's why the film is definitely resonating with audiences. And I think that's why the film is continuing to build up momentum as it also um, expands out into more theaters. Uh, let's pass it off to final thoughts, grade out of 10, and Oscar potential. Um, Michael, how would you rate Moonlight? I mean, look, this film is spectacular. Uh, like I said, I want to go see it again just to pick up on uh, any subtleties I maybe missed the first time around. So right now I'm going to give it a 9.5 out of 10, but only wait for that to possibly go up in the future. This is a masterpiece. Oscar potential? Everything. Best picture, best director screenplay, like we said, hopefully cinematography, acting awards, editing, just you name it. All right. Across the board contender, Will? Nine out of ten, one of the best films I've seen this year without a doubt. 
As for what I think it's going to get for Oscar nominations, I think it gets in for picture. I think Jenkins gets a director nomination. I think Ali gets in for supporting actor. I think Harris gets in for supporting actress. And I think it gets in for screenplay. I'm not predicting any below-the-line noms. I think it misses on editing, score, and cinematography, but they would all be well-deserved. Um, I'm not sure it wins anything, but I think nominations are all but assured. It's a vital film, and it's as tragic as it is, it's an enjoyable film to watch. It's not only important, it, like it is a good experience as well. With all the hate that's been going on in the world right now, I feel it's the f- title that we need the most at this moment. Uh, yeah, I would, I would, um, I would echo that absolutely. I think that you know, I, I would say this, and to a, a, another degree, a, a rival, um, but in a different way. Though this is on a much more intimate and personal level, I think that a lot of people need to see this film. Um, as far as my final thoughts on the film go, um, I will say it one more time: just absolutely jaw-droppingly stunning. Artful direction from Barry Jenkins. Um, I think it is the best ensemble of the year. It's one of the best scores I've heard this year. The cinematography is also some of the best I've seen this year. Um, the, the only thing I can really think of as far as a negative um, is that mainstream audience members will probably be put off by the film's deliberate pacing and it's nonverbal communication. There are a lot of scenes in this film that are, like I said before, subtextual. And like I just Carol, it's a lot about looks. Yeah, and I don't think a lot of mainstream audiences are gonna understand that. So as a result, I can't fully wholeheartedly recommend this to everybody. But with that said, I do wholeheartedly recommend this film to everybody. <laughs> I mean Going against my better judgment there, I think everybody should see this movie. And if you walk away from it going, well, that was boring or whatever, I don't care. You should see this movie. It's that good. I give it a 9 out of 10. As far as Oscar potential goes, I'm with Will on this. Picture, director, screenplay, supporting actress. I don't think Mahershal Ali has enough screen time, nor do I think he has the quote-unquote scene to make it in the best supporting actor. My own personal opinion. If the film does get a below the line category nom for editing, cinematography, or score, I will jump up and applause and scream. I will be so, so happy, as I think the film truly does deserve it. Let's talk about an elite. He doesn't have a scene where he's sobbing or something, but there have been more subtle performances to get into the category. I mean, he does. I mean, his final scene, it may not be a flashy Oscar scene, but he's crying. I mean, like, and it does give a complex array of emotions. Kind of reminds me, although doesn't have nearly as much screen time, of Ethan Hawke for Boyhood, as far as uh, a performance that relies largely on charisma and being an interesting character as, a, as opposed to flashy emotion. I really think he can do it. Yeah, but Ethan Hawke in Boyhood, you see evolve over a period of time throughout the film and just become these different people. Yeah, I think Mahasha Ali uh, needed to show up in one more scene to convince me that he would be a Best Supporting Actor nominee. I'm very much on the fence about this as I keep on putting him in my number six, number five, and I think he will constantly stay in my number six spot all throughout the season. So for right now, uh, I have him out, but 
if he gets in, I won't be surprised. The man is truly uh, one of the aspects of this film that most people are going to remember as they are leaving the theater, and that is for sure. Well, somebody to remember as you're leaving the theater also is Andre Holland. Yes. Who pretty much takes up almost all of the uh, third act of the film. And there's one shot in particular where the camera frames him in a close-up that is, oh my God, just stunning. Uh, the way that it does it. I can't exactly pinpoint which moment that is, but I... It's in a restaurant. Well, yeah, even so. <laughs> I still can't pinpoint the exact moment, but I know I, I know what you mean. I fully hear you on this. Uh, like, like I was saying before, the visual poetry that this film conveys is unlike anything else I've seen this year, and unlike anything I've seen over the last couple of years even, I would say that this is... Um, I also want to say, too, I, this is not... This is not um, a, a black man's carol, because um, I know you brought that up. No, it's its own thing. It, it shouldn't even be compared to Brokeback, because it's literally its own story. There's nothing to compare it to. Exactly. I, I, I completely agree, and I just wanted to get that out of the way. Well, and it's not, it's also, it's not about an issue. I mean, it is, it is the quintessential definition of a character movie, you know? It's not a quote-unquote gay movie. It's a movie about life and experiences, coming of age. It's not a black movie. It's not a gay movie. It's, I would say uh, it's Boyhood uh, without the 12 years. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of Boyhood, without a doubt. Yeah. It's tracking this man's life from a young age into becoming a man. And the people that impact him along the way and the experiences that he goes through. This is a much more heavy-handed film than um, Boyhood is. There's a lot more uh, darker elements to it. But I think the three-act structure, I think the fact that the actors um, never interact with each other. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, because they're playing the same character. But what, but what I mean is that like they never met each other probably before filming. Um and in, they never studied either one of their performances, but yet each one of these characters and each one of these acts are directed by Jenkins to be the same person. And it is an incredible, incredible feat of directing that he can get just even the subtleties in these actors' eyes to match from act one, act two, to act three. It, it's, it's incredible. Absolutely incredible. And Janelle Monet pops up there a little bit. We're going to see her later this year in Hidden Figures. But she's very good in the screen time that she has. She says, welcoming and calm presence. Oh, yeah, yeah, she was. I mean, once again, we talked about earlier, the cast is, it should be a definite SAG ensemble consider. There's not a weak link in the cast. I mean, it is it is the definition of a on, strong ensemble film. Absolutely. With that said... Uh, I think that's uh, I think yeah I think that's pretty much good to go on Moonlight here. It's one of the best films of the year. Please, 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 people, please check it out. Uh, despite what you may think about the film, I can't recommend this movie enough to anybody out there, and I really do mean anybody. Uh, so we're gonna move on now. I have an uh, interview uh, coming up next with the composer of Moonlight. 
uh, Nicholas Bratel. He and I chat about uh, Moonlight, uh, the use of the music within the film, the tracks uh, you know that are specifically laid out, including uh, one that was used in the film's trailer. So let's head over to that interview now, shall we? Hey guys, this is JD from the Incession Film Podcast. Every week on our show, you can join my co-host Brendan and I as we review the latest films that's out in theaters. It also inspires us to discuss a top three list of some sort, and we have a lot of other fun movie discussions as well. It's always a blast. And we also have a show on Fridays called our Extra Film Podcast. This is a show that gives us the space to talk about the latest indies and art films and other classics that we normally just don't get to talk about on our main show. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and more. In fact, you can just see everything about us, including our social medias at IncessionFilm.com. So join us every week. We'd absolutely love to have you. So right now I am being joined here by Nicholas Bratel, the film composer for the new film that is playing in theaters right now, Barry Jenkins' latest, Moonlight. It is quite a remarkable film to say the least and first of all nicholas let me say thank you so much for being a part of the next best picture podcast we really love having you on right now well thank you so much for having me on the show i really appreciate it absolutely congratulations also on the film it it, like i said before it's one of the most remarkable uh film experiences i've had this year i saw it at the new york film festival and i was part of the very very proud six to eight minutes, whatever it was, standing ovation the film received at the end. It was quite an amazing oh. experience. Thank you. Well, I know I, re- I really appreciate you saying that. It was uh, it was an amazing experience working on the film and, and working with Barry. Absolutely. And that'll definitely be a little bit a uh, part of the conversation here. But before we get to that, um, let's start off with asking a little bit about uh, your work and how, uh, obviously, there have been a lot of film scores through the years that I'm sure that have had a major source of inspiration on you. So can you tell us a little bit more about uh, that influence? Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, I mean, there are so many, there's so much music and, and music in films that have inspired me over the years. But uh, interestingly, there's probably one score that has inspired uh, my life the most in some ways, and that's uh, Chariots of Fire, uh, the Vangelis score to oh. that movie. Uh, when I was five years old, I saw that movie, and uh, I was so... Uh, you know, fascinated by the theme to the movie that we we had this very old upright piano in our apartment. And uh, I went over to the piano and tried to figure out how to play that theme. And uh, I asked my my parents for piano lessons so that I could learn how to play it. So, you know, uh, without question, that's probably the most influential score for me just because it it seems to have, uh, you know, directed me potentially in this this, uh, path. I have to bring this up uh, because you mentioned Vangelis with Blade Runner 2 coming out. Uh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait to hear if there's a way that they can pay homage to his work. I think um, I, I'm pretty sure it's Johan Johansson that's coming on board for that one. I uh, I could be wrong, but I mean, that should just be fascinating yeah. to hear. So yeah, I know that's a very, that's a very. Ex- I mean, the Blade Runner score is so amazing, oh. and uh, you know, I, I'm sure they're excited to, about uh, you know uh, exploring the the music for for the sequel without question. Yeah, absolutely, and exploring um, different types of music. You yourself have quite the uh, athletic mix of projects that you've worked on, from your work with Natalie Portman on New York I Love You and A Tale of Love and Darkness to 
last year's Best Picture nominee, The Big Short, and now this year with Moonlight, Free State of Jones. Uh, how, how do you choose your projects? Sure, it's a great question. Um, you know, I, I feel so honored to have had the opportunity to work on, on these films over the past five years, and I think that if there's one, you know, commonality in, in how I find, you know, or, or search for these types of projects, it's, it's certainly, you know, I, you know, film ideas, film stories that move me in some way. Um, and I think, in, you know, in certain cases, it's things that are, you know, deeply uh, emotionally impactful, things like uh, Moonlight, where I was just really overcome reading the screenplay. It was, it was such a powerful work. Um, and then, you know, The Big Short is another interesting example there, too, where, you know, you're, it's a film that felt like it had a real uh, important resonance uh, with what's going on in the world right now. Um, and, and I think above anything else, the opportunity to collaborate with different filmmakers is really um, what excites me the most about, uh, you know, in, in, in the search for different projects. Uh, because I think one of the great things about film is that it's such a collaborative uh, uh, medium. It's such a collaborative process. And, uh, you know, finding teams where you can explore things and uh, experiment with things together and have that be a really uh, in-depth process, I think that's always something that's the most uh, you know, attractive about a, a particular project. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, you talked about how uh, the story of Moonlight uh, really drew you in when you read it. H- how did you come across that story? Did Barry call you? Did uh, you just happen to uh, catch the script? Or um, uh, interestingly, I, so I was working. Uh, I was scoring a big short last summer, and uh, 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 Plan B Entertainment, which is you know Jeremy Kleiner and Dee Dee Gardner, mm-hmm. who I've worked with on. I was working with them on that, and also I'd collaborated with them on 12 Years a Slave. And uh, Jeremy, uh, we had dinner one night uh, you know, during that process, and uh, he told me about this screenplay that he had re- read that he was just profoundly moved by uh, called Moonlight. And he said, you know, would you like to, would you like to read this? And uh, so I said, absolutely. Uh, and when I read it, I just, you know, I was, I was really overwhelmed by it. It was in, in, immensely beautiful. Uh, it was sort of unlike anything I had ever read before. There was this sense of just, you know, poetry to it. It felt uh, sort of sublimely beautiful, uh, tender, uh, sensitive, um, and it was something that immediately I just said, Jeremy, like, I'd, I would love to meet Barry. I had seen Medicine for Melancholy, so I mm. kind of loved his, uh, Barry's first film. Um, and uh, Jeremy connected me with Barry, and we ended up, uh, you know, uh, having, we had coffee in downtown L.A., and uh, coffee turned into, you know, some glasses of wine, and we ended up just talking about music and film and everything. And uh, that, was, that was really the beginning of our conversations, and I think... Uh, early on, I think it started to feel like we had a similar perspective on what the the musical possibilities might be for the film. So, um, so yeah, it was it was it was powerful for me, sort of right right away uh, from being exposed to the project. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, it comes across so much in the film itself when you watch it. Just the power, and you know, you were speaking about the beauty, the tenderness, and the sensitivity. Um, to it. it it truly truly yeah. does come across and moving on to the the work itself and the music within the film i can always say that you know those attributes that you described before i i feel those in every single track but the one that i keep coming back to the most that i find the most unique is um 
the middle of the world where yes. Little is being sort of baptized almost by uh, Juan, who's exactly greatly played by Mahershala Ali in this. And to me, it's a much more pronounced track in that it has a much quicker tempo to it than all the other tracks. Of course, it gradually uh, decreases as the uh, track comes to a close. Um, and it's mm-hmm. featured very prominently in the film's trailer. So yes. I wanted to ask you what it was about that track um, and how it was used in the film that made you want it to stand out. It's a great question, too. I, I think, uh, you know, when, when you were first discussing some of the the uh, you know those poetic elements that I've mentioned. I think what's interesting is the contrast between uh, those two musical worlds, in a way, between things like Little's theme, which is a piece of music which really uh, you know it's it's very <clears throat> tender, and there's it's just a piano and a violin, um, and it's it's a more let's say sort of like an introspective feeling to it. And then you come to something like the middle of the world piece, where it's this you know really large scale soaring texture and 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 the way that i wrote that was you know it it was in some ways it almost felt like um sort of like a violin concerto kind of a texture there where you have these soaring uh violin arpeggios uh this real virtuoso playing which and uh our violinist tim fain is a dear friend of mine an incredible musician uh he he performed those those soaring violin lines and um you know uh i think one of the amazing things about that that scene which which sort of speaks to the type of collaboration that I had with Barry was that Barry's really open to such a wide range of musical possibilities for film and so I think that uh, you know wh- you know while we had things which were uh, in certain places in the film uh, much more uh, let's say tender introspective there were moments where the film uh, you know, and Barry really wanted this kind of a, 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 a much more massive texture. And, um, you know, you mentioned the word kind of like a, uh, of a baptism. That's precisely um, what, what I discussed with Barry. My initial instincts actually on that scene were, you know, I saw it, it's, it's one teaching little to swim. Mm-hmm. I sort of had this feeling that maybe this is, you know, this is a, a beautiful moment. This is a beautiful uh, you know, future memory that he will have. This is a, a lot, you know, a, a, a sort of a positive life moment. And Barry said, you know, yes, but actually, no. He said, this is a, this is a baptism. This is a spiritual baptism. And we talked about how this is, uh, you know, really the sort of the first day of the rest of his life. And there's a, a, a deep significance to that where you see, um, you, you know, you see the sort of beginning of the next chapters uh, there. And, uh, and that, I think the weightiness of that moment is what the music was trying to, to speak to. You know, this is a very, very significant moment for, for Little. Um, and those textures, I think one of, the, one of the, you know, really exciting things about film music is that because of the architecture of a film, because of the, the length of a film, you get to explore and develop um, and bring back and transform different ideas, you know, over the course of 90 to 120, you know, minutes approximately mm-hmm. of a film. And so, uh, so there are ways of weaving these types of things in and out. Uh, the, actually, that arpeggiated texture in the violin comes back um, in a transformed way, actually, uh, after the scene where uh, Juan confronts uh, Paula in the yeah. street. And then, you know, it's sort of, and, and there, this is something that, you know, we can certainly talk about, but there it's actually, the, the violin sound is, is deeper and actually sort of bent uh, from its previous incarnation. And then it comes in, you know, into the hallway 
uh, with Paula. And there are other elements, too, interestingly, that, that sort of... Um, you know, uh, fused together across different chapters, the, the, the sort of quiet rustling kind of a sound in the strings, there's this tremolo string that's happening that sort of starts in just as you see, you know, little entering the water. Um, and that mm. sort of, you know, continues throughout the piece. It almost sounds like air rustling or something, but it's this violin tremolo. And, um, Interestingly, we brought that back in a few places where, you know, I love how when, when something returns, whether it's transformed or not, because you've been exposed to it earlier in the film, you already have uh, a memory of it, you know? And I, and I think there's something very powerful about how when certain ideas can come back musically in a film, um, they, they generally take on a deeper emotion just because you've already had that kind of a human memory experience with them from having seen them. 30 minutes ago, you know, in films, like, time is so compressed. Yeah. It's almost like, like you, you experience more life in a very short period of time. And, and, um, and I love the, the power that those things can have. So when the tremolo comes back, the next time we actually see it is when Chiron is taking the metro rail and then going back to the beach where he'll, you know, encounter Kevin. So interestingly, there's sort of a, a musical correspondence between the beach in chapter one and the beach in chapter two. Then it's it's just so it's so good because one thing that I love about the score is that I feel very strongly that a score helps to give a film its identity, and it's something that mm. obviously, other than the visuals, uh, when you're thinking of a film, I, I tend to think back on a film through its score, and this mm. is a film yeah. score of that. I haven't heard anything else like it in another film this year. So to create something oh, well, that that's you. Yeah, of course. Yeah, something to create that is that unique uh, to a film helps give it its identity and helps the film stand out that much more. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about, uh, not by name, but uh, you mentioned uh, how you would uh, bend notes. And uh, you talked uh, yeah. a lot about this chopped and screwed method uh, to transforming yeah. uh, music to come up with these really brilliant variations and i found that the most in the the theme track which plays for little chiron and black gradually throughout the film as the three acts move on uh can you yeah. tell me about the different ways that you experimented with that and what made you ultimately decide upon the finished versions that found their way into the film Absolutely. Uh, you know, this was actually really central to the process that I had with Barry, uh, and because early on in our conversations, um, Barry mentioned that he really had this passion for chopped and screwed music, which is uh, a, a genre of Southern hip hop where you take tracks and you slow them down. And when you slow them down, the pitch goes down. So you get this uh, musical texture into the music where that, that's really deepened and enriched and uh, and actually create you, you don't really know what's going to happen you you know you think oh it's going to get deeper but but what there's sort of this interesting ex these other elements that almost get unlocked when the music is sort of stretched like this so um, he talked about this and and immediately uh, we had a conversation where I said what if we did this to the score you know what if I actually uh, added a process you know a, like a step to our process where um, I would write and record music for the movie and then what if we added this layer where I would then take those recordings and uh, you know 
chop and scrum, where I would take them and uh, slow them down, see what happened, take instruments, slow them down, bend them. Um, and, you know, when you chop the tracks, too, there's sort of an editing, but there's also like a stutter, sort of a layering, where you're taking sometimes tracks and you're laying them on top of each other. And, uh, and you know, we just, we just were so uh, excited about the possibilities of that, where you know, you didn't know what was going to happen. So um, early on, uh, I had sent Barry the, this, the piece, which became Little Steam. I had called it uh, initially as our, you know, as we were talking about with the poetry, uh, I had actually called that piece Piano and Violin Poem because mm. I was sort of almost like channeling this idea of what is the musical analog of poetry? Like how does, what type, what would what would it sound like, these sort of emotional feelings that I had had when I, you know, read the screenplay and when I saw um, early cuts of the movie. And so uh, we started with experimenting with Little Theme, where I took it and I uh, first, you know, just sort of slowed it down a bit and, 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 and modulated it down so it's a little bit deeper. Um, but then there were some really extreme, uh, uh, you know, experiments where I would screw the track way down. And one of the really exciting uh, opportunities there was um, for the scene in the schoolyard uh, where there's the fight. Uh, what's interesting is that's actually, you're hearing little theme, uh, but it is slowed so far down that it's about three octaves down, and then it's layered on top of itself. So there's actually two versions of it itself playing at once, but not perfectly in sync. So there's this almost like kind of like subtle chaos to it and then I ran that whole uh, you know uh, mix of that through a vinyl filter so there's this sort of extra grainy kind of a noise almost on the track and in the theater you're just feeling this kind of rumbling and the subwoofers and you're not even you know I don't think you're even noticing it you're just sort of immersed in the in the the action that's going on on screen and yet occasionally peeking through this sort of rumbling texture uh, you hear a few notes that almost sound like to me they almost sound like weird bells <laughs> and what they are is they're actually that's the piano and the violin from Little Steam at the very beginning of the movie which just totally morphed and almost unrecognizably so so um, so th that was a really interesting example where you know we're not just taking the track and slowing it down we're actually taking the track and we're 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 really um, playing with the audio in a way almost like play-doh you know we're sort of like you know stretching things out and layering things and uh filtering things and um it it really added a whole other dimension to the composition process because um you know once you've once you've created these textures if you now have this like infinity of possible ways of stretching and changing and bending tracks you know um it adds just a whole other potential uh, mysterious color palette, you know, that you can play with. Um, and, and you also, you know, you mentioned, uh, Black's theme in chapter three. Um, what's interesting there is in addition to the chopping and screwing, there was also a pure, let's call it like a pure musical type of transformation mm. that I would do where I would orchestrate the tracks differently and I would change the keys and I would change some of the, uh, musical elements themselves. So for example, uh, in Black's theme, which we hear when, uh, Kevin and Black are, are uh, going uh, home at the very end. Um, that is uh, the similar music of Little Steam, but it's actually performed with an ensemble of cellos. Oh. You know, so the color has changed there, where you know in the beginning you have this sort of piano violin and the piano with its own... Um, there's a sort of, uh, uh, you know, 
think the, the piano has a has a very sort of a clear um, texture to it, whereas the cello has this rich kind of, um, for me, more yearning texture to it. And um, and that track at the end too is actually chopped and screwed, so those cellos are recorded uh, in a higher pitch, and then I pitched them and slowed them. So you hear you're hearing a. Uh, even there, if whether whether it's noticeable or not, you are hearing a you know a result of that multi-part process there. It's uh, so 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 good. I I love just hearing the explanations behind it because you know sometimes you watch a film, you hear the music, you're not necessarily sure. I mean, you know the music's there, sp- supposed to elicit emotion, but sometimes it, the score can just sound. Um, by the numbers almost here i feel like there's so much thought so much care put into it that it like i was saying before really just enhances the film overall and you were talking before about the collaborative process um Mm -hmm. where you know that's what you enjoy a lot about uh the filmmaking and so uh, you know with moonlight having this very unique soundscape to it what was the collaboration like with the other sound departments on the film? Because obviously you're employing um, some methods uh, in your work that I'm sure mm-hmm. others had maybe not have experienced on other films before. It's a great question. We, um, you know, one of the really amazing things about working on Moonlight was that it was the chance to work so closely with Barry. Um, and in fact, uh, early on, I told Barry that I really felt um, the more time that we had together where we could watch the film together, talk about things together, uh, where I could show him musical ideas, uh, the more time we had of that in the same place, it would just have a profound impact on things. And Barry was totally uh, into that. So he would come from, you know, he'd come from L.A., he'd come to New York. Uh, we would spend just whole days in my studio here uh, exploring things and trying things out. And in some ways, um, you know, the some of the actual ideas, I think, only came about because of that close collaboration. So things like the chopped and screwing of the of the textures, um, but, but even more so perhaps was... Um, the idea of uh, in, in some of the scenes, the music that I write actually incorporates production sounds. So, for example, um, one one example there is uh, in chapter two when Chiron is about to go back into the school uh, to fight back. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see him looking into a mirror over a sink, um, and he's you know entering. Let's almost think of like an almost like a, like an altered state of consciousness. There, you know, he's. Uh, his his emotions are so heightened at that moment, and ideas and feelings are probably swirling through his mind. So, um, one of the interesting things that happened there was uh, Barry and I were in the studio here, and I was exploring what if I took symbolically sounds from uh, chapter one and brought them into chapter two. So, for example, you're hearing almost like this kind of rushing sound. It's, like, it's almost like rushing air sound that that is when he's looking into the mirror there and that sound is actually the sound of the water being poured into the bathtub in chapter one when little's pouring himself a bath and it's just you know it's just stretched and kind of like you know morphed and it's woven into this kind of almost like sonic tapestry that i created there for the um 
you know, the, 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 the sequence when he goes back into the school. And another thing that happened there was um, there's, a, there's a lot of uh, percussion sounds that happen throughout that sequence. So, for example, you're hearing the sort of insistent rhythm of, it almost sounds like, I think, in the beginning, kind of like a drum hi-hat, you know? Sure. Play, like hitting a beat. And that sound is not a drum. It's actually the sound. It's the last time that uh, Kevin and Sharon high-fived. It's literally the sound of their oh. hands clapping that's, together. That's yeah. yeah, so that was one of those things where, you know, I said, what if we, what, you know, and, and the thing is, what's cool is you don't know, you know, you can have a lot of ideas, but you don't know until you try it if it's going to work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but those were the types of things where Barry and I were exploring. We're like, what if we did that? You know, what if I took this sound and then you try it? And when it works, it's just such an amazing sort of feeling where you're like, wow, this totally works, you know? And so we built this tapestry up that way. Um, and it's, you know, and, and, and again, I think it's only through that kind of a collaboration that stuff like that is possible, where um, there's just so much dialogue happening about what do we feel here? What do we want to do? What if we try this? Um, what happens then? You know, and, and those are the things that if I was just working on my own, you know, sending tracks to Barry, um, I don't think any of this would have been possible. So, you know, I really, I'm deeply thankful to him for being, you know, uh, you know, interested and able to come to New York to, to do this. And I think we both had such a, uh, such an awesome time, you know, through that process. Cause, uh, cause yeah, there's that feeling of discovery where, you know, film composing, I think is a, is a very sort of mysterious endeavor. You don't, at least for me, I, I never feel that before going into a project, I never feel like you, you really know what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, in a lot of ways, you're going to let the movie tell you what to do, and you're going to uh, explore with the director what they're feeling. Um, and uh, so I think that what, what, what is uh, enticing about film music is, is that mystery in a lot of ways, where it's always sort of a new adventure on each project, um, and, you, uh, and you get to see what happens. <laughs> yeah, happy accidents, as they sometimes are called. Yeah, <laughs> you never know. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> well, congratulations once again on the film Moonlight. It is playing right now in theaters. I highly urge everybody to go check it out. But before uh, we go today, um, just due to the overwhelming response that the film has received, uh, a lot of us, myself are in- included, are curious as to what is next for you. Um, would you mind sharing with us any uh, upcoming projects we can hopefully expect to hear from you in the future? Absolutely. Um, I'm currently scoring uh, a film called Battle of the Sexes right now, uh, directed by Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris. Ah, yes. And that's the uh, Billy Jean King. Uh, story of the 1973 tennis match mm-hmm. uh, with Bobby Riggs. Uh, so I'm working on that. That stars Steve Carell and Emma Stone. And uh, and then after that, I'm uh, going to be scoring Ocean's Eight. Actually, uh, the Gary Ross directed uh, new Ocean's film, um, which uh, which Warner Brothers is is, is producing. So uh, you know I'm. I'm really excited about both of those projects, for sure. Well, we definitely look forward to hearing uh, what work you're going to provide for those films. Nicholas, I want to thank you so much for being a part of the Next Best Picture podcast today as a part of nextbestpicture.com. It was such a pleasure chatting with you today. Same here. Thank you so much. All right. You take care.
Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.